You're listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you the latest evidence and research to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC and your host again for today. Thanks for tuning into episode 10 where we get the rare opportunity to go behind the scenes in the world of AFL football. We're going to take a look today specifically at the performance component of our podcast goals and find out what performance parameters matter in Aussie Rules football and how recruiters assess young up-and-coming talent to sort them into a systematic list to pick from. And despite the abundance of statistics and technology and the vision that's available to the recruiters these days, recruiting still seems to be more of an art than a science. So we'll try and get into the mind of someone who helps nurture and create opportunities and gives prospective young footballers the chance to embark on a long and hopefully successful career in a sport they love. And please, if you're enjoying our podcasts, don't forget to hit the follow button on our homepage. But for now, let's get stuck into episode 10. It is not often we get the chance to go behind the scenes of an AFL club. And today we get the chance to do exactly that and find out more about the increasingly complex system that has become the AFL draft and recruiting. Today's guest has been involved in recruiting for look, every bit of about 20 years, um, starting at St Kilda and then heading to Collingwood, and now sits in the number one recruiting position as the National Recruiting Manager for Melbourne Football Club. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, Jason Taylor. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to have you on board. How long actually has it been since you pulled the recruiter's clipboard out? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that for a little while. I think it's 15, this will be my 16th year. Yeah, rightio. And did you ever, if you think back 15 years ago, did you ever imagine you'd be sitting here in the position you are today as national manager at an AFL club? Um, Well, when I set myself to um, have a change in career, I was quite... um, bullish in, in getting to this point. So I wasn't traditionally a goal setter, but back in that time period, I set two lots of uh, five-year goals. And um, the first one was um, to get into the industry and in recruiting in a full-time capacity. And the second five-year goal was to become a national manager. And I was fortunate enough to um, achieve both of those within the time frame. So I think the fact that I... Uh, I set the goals and just kept my eye clearly on that. That that, that certainly helped. Absolutely. Look, it, it is an amazing story. And look, I, I reckon we could almost do your story in a podcast in its own right. Um, and look, I know we've both been really lucky to watch uh, one of our great mates, Luke Beveridge, go from you know, an outstanding junior footballer to 120-game AFL footballer to now premiership coach. It, but look... But having watched you, I reckon your story is equally as impressive in terms of, interestingly, what you just said, having goals and, and having passion and having the drive to work 
what at times has just been insane hours and overcoming hurdle after hurdle. So um, do you want to um, start with uh, how you actually got into it and where you come from? So obviously the air conditioning business and, and, and how you transitioned from full-time work into a very competitive industry? Yeah, well, um, I always had a passion for it, even as a young lad. Um, but I suppose that um, there was a point in time where I, um, and this links into Luke a little bit, um, that I was going to send off resumes to each club just to see if I could get a foot in the door as a part-time scout where traditionally everyone starts. Just working yep. weekends and whatever you can do throughout the week in the evenings. Um, <clears throat> and being a little bit pig-headed, I didn't want to... Obviously, John Beveridge at St Kilda was, you know, my junior coach. So, and the relationship I had with Luke, but being a little bit pig-headed, I didn't want to, I suppose, use that link. But uh, in conversations with Luke, he encouraged me that it'd be a good idea just to speak to John and... Um, and go down that path. So I did that and um, the year before I began, John gave me a trial through the national championships um, and where I did some reports on some players and then from there he gave me a, a part-time position. Yeah, okay. And look, if we if we stick on John Beveridge for the moment, I mean, I suppose in a way you must look back and feel a little bit blessed because, you know, we remember him as being like the most unbelievable mind in recruiting and, and maybe a bit ahead of his time. But, you know, I know that I could or you, we, we could talk to him and pull out any player almost in the land and he'd tell you their height and age and left foot and weaknesses and strengths. And, and he was, um, he was a, must have been a pretty amazing guy to start under. Yeah, I was fortunate not forever indebted to John um, to get that opportunity and, and, and learn from him in that, in that early period. Um, and, and, you know, he was just so, you know, obsessed really with his work and, um, and, and from that, you know, the, the ethic that he, he possessed that, you know, he, he, his mind was just, as you say, mate, you could ask him any question and, um, he'd, he'd be able to reel it off for sure. And so to, to work off that experience and, you know, um, and he challenged me through that period as well, which was fantastic for me in that initial stage when you're, you're quite, you know, green and raw. Um, and I think that long-term really set me up. Yeah, yeah, okay. And can you, again, thinking back, uh, can you take us through that initial time when you were working full-time and you had this opportunity and just the amount, like I know, weekends and coming home to videos. And can you just take us through what your workload was like in that transition time? Yeah, I think if you're going to make a, a change of career, you've, you've just got to um, do what's required to put your best foot forward to make that happen. So basically, I ran my own air conditioning business. So you're working, you know, like Monday to Friday and the weekends were taken up with, uh, you know, all of Saturday and all of Sunday of watching football and, and then reporting on that. But to surge ahead, you know, I offered up whatever I could do. And, and back in that day, it was, um, you know, VHS uh, yeah. recording edits. So, I, I, you know, I suppose your salary sacrificed at stages, but uh, I went out and bought myself a, an extra VHS so I could... Um, you know, copy games for John in the evenings and right. then edit certain players from that. And um, I suppose that um, you start to 
gain a little bit of respect by putting in those extra hours and, and offering up what you can. Um, yeah, and then and then the story quickly evolved from there. Really, it was, um, if you want me to continue on on where it went from there, I, yeah, I think, I think so. That, um, uh, I think I was it was two and a bit years at St Kilda, and, and John was looking to um, um, scale back. So his position was actually advertised. So given the um, how new to it I was, I I remember speaking to John over the phone, just respectfully asking him, does he mind if I apply for it? And I thought it'd just be a good experience really at the time. Yeah. Um, so I went through that process um, with his blessing. Um, and I think that was invaluable really to where I am now. Cause I mean, as I said, I was, you know, two and a bit years in, I was quite raw and, yeah. um, and then having to put together a presentation and present to an AFL club's board um, was a, a, a major thing for me and quite an emotional thing to do because I was so passionate about it and um, really put me out of my comfort zone. So um, I went pretty well in that process and there was a little bit of a lag on that process because they were a li little bit worried about um, my inexperience, which I think was fair enough. Sure. Um, so they, they held off for a little bit and I ended up um, appointing John Peake who came across from Geelong who had a number of years of experience under Stephen Wells. Um, but they, I did gain a promotion out of that um, where I got a couple more days a week throughout the week and that gave me an opportunity to be involved at Clubland. Yeah. Uh, but with that um, became more salary sacrifice but that was... Um, obviously a sacrifice that I was more than happy to take under the circumstances. Um, so I, I got a lot of um, just, I suppose, confidence out of that. Uh, but there is a, another link through that period and it just happened to be that um, through a mutual uh, friend, I got a opportunity to quote to put in an air conditioner for Derek Hine, who was a national right. career manager at Collingwood. Um, who I was aware of but didn't know. So anyway, um, when I went around to do that, Derek was set up in his office at home with all his names on the whiteboard and all that. So I obviously took the opportunity to, <laughs> to chat to him and, uh, and uh, had a conversation about where I was at. And that was just prior to um, me putting together my presentation for St Kilda. And that was part of the conversation. And okay. someone I've never met, he, he went out of his way to help me make sure that I, because he'd been through the process himself to, to put together the, the uh, presentation. So it was more favourable. So um, I kind of gained a, um, you know, a, a link with Derek there and um, he helped me along in that process and, and that relationship grew from there. And then um, later that year, I think it was in December that year, I was holidaying up in uh, Wye River and... Um, I got a call from Derek and he wanted to have a conversation about potentially coming across to Collingwood. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, I informed St Kilda of that and it was, it was going to be initially part-time, um, but pretty quickly um, through that conversation with Derek, there was going to be an eye to go full-time relatively soon. So I took that okay. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? Like you look at that and say, you know, like obviously there's a stroke of luck that you're putting an air conditioner in the guy's house. But also I think, you, you, and this probably applies across to footy too, you, 
you make your own luck to a degree, don't you? Like really through through hard work, you put yourself in a position to be met with opportunity. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. I think the luck comes from from the the uh, hard work you put in. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I I wasn't aware of your couple of five year goals, and um, which is quite amazing. And if we look back early days, like you were a bit of a local football legend in your time with St Peter's and St Paul's. And was there a time when you realised that your career probably wasn't inside the white lines and, and it was outside? Like, did you have a point where you just thought, this is what I want to do? Uh, legend's a stretch, mate. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, mate. I, I always thought that I was um, going to play forever in my late 30s and yep. such was my passion to want to keep playing, but the body let me down. And um, so I think that I took the angle of, doing a little bit of um, assistant coaching in the amateurs and um, and then I just I always had a, a bit of an itch to get into recruiting. I think that was where my passion lied. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I was always, I, I suppose, searching for that, that career path that I think that could fulfil me and um, do something that I loved. Um, air conditioning was a really good... Um, career it's a it's a great trade for anyone to get into but i think at some point in time you need to um you know if you want to continue on doing that that's fine you just that's your lot in life but i i just had within me somewhere that i just needed to search and, and make a career of what i wanted okay and and obviously as i said earlier you've got to um, what is really a number one position at a footy club in terms of recruiting role so can you take us through what what your role actually is at the moment, um, what it involves, how many you got in your team, what an average week is like. like what, what do you do as national recruiting manager at a club? Yeah, I mean, basically I'm charged with um, selecting players in the national draft and the rookie drafts and um, players, you know, category B players outside, alternate athletes. Um, and I'm also part of list management um, in conversations around um, trading and, and, and the like. Um, yep. and, and I run staff nationally that um, scout players throughout the country on a weekly basis. And, and then obviously we collate all that and uh, bring that list of players together. Now, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Yep. Um, so I've got, this is all pre-COVID. Things have changed sure. um, significantly. Um, but if we talk pre-COVID, my team nationally, I had 13 part-timers. Now, part of our full-time team is um, myself as national manager. I've got two other guys underneath me directly, Callie O'Donnell and Darren Fruger. Uh, Tim Lamb was, but now Tim's gone to list manager. Okay. Um, so he, he got promoted to that role, which was fantastic for him. Um, and there's another guy, Todd Patterson, who he works across various domains in the women's um, and also the futures market for us. Yep. Um, and also part of our academy program, which is the next generation academy, father, sons, etc. Okay. Uh, so that, that, that's basically the team. Um, so how many games of footy have have you got being watched and being fed back into you in an average week? Yeah. So it's it's significant. Like if you if you take away if you just look at a standard week. 
So if you include the NAB League, the VFL, the Waffle, the Sandful, and the Neeful, yeah. it's 40 games a weekend. Right. Um, so that's at all levels. So 18s, reserves, and league. Right. Um, and so then, you've got someone watching all of those no, every so week. Clearly the numbers don't allow you to have people live at all those games. So yeah. that's why our weekly meetings about discussing you know, which players are a priority uh, is very important that we make sure that we don't let things fall through the cracks. So yeah. um, w w we cover the, the games we feel are important that weekend live and we get the rest of those games on vision. So then okay. we can go through either full games or edited vision of selected players that are reported back to us from, from each, you know, scout, if you like. Uh, on top of those 40 games and... You then, you know, at a period in the year, as you well know, mate, you add in the APS and the AGS, yep. and then you add in South Australian, West Australian schools. Yeah. And then it's the beginning of the state trials and then the national champs. And, and scattered through there is also futures games. Um, and then plus there's the under-16 nationals as well. So right. it's an unbelievable amount to cover and, um, and, and an unbelievable amount of information that you um, need to gather yeah, um, and firstly, so, that's just assessing players on their football potential. But obviously, there's a lot more to it as it um, as the year unfolds. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll get into that too. But so, were you watching live many games yourself these days, or do you are you able to delegate the majority of that? No, I, I have to watch players live. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's what my main role is really um but we're all doing that um and as i said the information comes together post the weekend through our database um and also through uh phone conversations and um and live you know meetings as well yeah, okay. but, uh, yeah no no my focus is clearly um part of it is to run the program which is delegation of where the scouts go and also um but on clearly doing it myself. So the priority players are, are pretty important for me to watch. Yeah, okay. Um, and do you, obviously there's an, an incredible amount of vision coming into you. Do you sit in front of your computer at any stage and have that play button in front of you and think, God, here we go again? But you must watch so much footy on the screen as well. Yeah, you do. And, and, and uh, <laughs> watching visions never become more important than right now, mate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The more experienced you are, that I think that you know you can clearly form an opinion of a player through through vision. Um, yep. But clearly, live viewings, um, you know, critical to that process. Yep. But you can, through experience, really capture what a player's strengths and weaknesses are through vision. Yeah, we do. We watch an enormous amount of vision and. We get vision given to us through champion data of the yep. VFL, Waffle, Sample, Neeful. But as far as and the state trials, obviously the nationals and the futures games, but as far as school vision, we, we source it ourselves and then we have to edit the full games on particular players. So there's further work that goes in, into that. Yeah, okay. And it brings a good um, question that... Like these days, and particularly through Champion Data, like you, you can get your hands on, I presume, whatever statistics you want. Like how much do you look at statistics versus vision in terms of putting someone on your 
map to recruiting? Like, how important is the volume of statistics that are available these days? Oh, it's certainly important. There's so many layers that are really important. I'll just go back and on top of that, there's the AFL that we, we need to watch as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think the statistics become, you know, very important. We've got a database where we've got all that there and it's, oh, I think it's really important when you're looking back on players that you've, of previous drafts that, you, you know, it's it's really good reflection piece when you go through stats and, and you know, when you're reflecting on decisions you made that may not have affected you or, or you know, when you just go through draft pools. So we, we've been doing that you know, over recent months, just reflecting on how we saw players, um, you know, since 2013 draft and and um, how they've progressed or, or, or not progressed. And um, you get some really great learnings out of that. And so from that, you can reflect on stats. Um, but the stats are important. Um, there's many layers that are really important in the process when you're trying to identify the best talent. Yeah, okay. Is it, does it happen often that you will get, again, we're talking junior footy, so the pathway to being recruited, um, someone with just incredible stats that you go out and watch and for some reason think not, not, not going to make it? Uh, potentially, absolutely, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll take myself back to when I was working early days under John and, um, you know, you learn that. You learn that along the way because John had such a wealth of experience. So when you're quite raw, you're, you're potentially looking at players that you think, well, he's just dominating, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and they, you know, for various reasons, whether it's their physical makeup, um, you know, primarily it's often the case that they, they just don't um, seem to be able to cut it at AFL level. Um, yeah. So that, that, that quite often can happen. Yeah, okay. And if we if, I want to go back um, to probably more so the days when, when we were playing, so quite some time ago now, and what tended to happen was just the best footballer. So I suppose that correlates well to the best statistical footballer um, tended to make it into the pathway and then the best pure football player from there got drafted. But it seems to have changed a bit and we hear about athletes and people from other sports coming across to the AFL, how much room is there still for the great footballer as opposed to the great athlete? Yeah, oh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit traditional um, and I still think that clearly the football smarts, that great footballer um, still really present a lot of the players that are on AFL lists. Yep. Um, the only difference is, is that you have to have some athletic ability. And, and I feel that that's always been the case. So they've traditionally got to have that package of, um, you know, high footy IQ and drive, but they do need a certain amount of athletic ability, you know, whether that be, you know, just whether they've got a lead endurance or great speed or agility and um, but you can't underestimate football smarts the, the traditional things that make up a footballer clean hands um, competitiveness yep um, kicking so do you rate kicking in there I do um, clearly like you like to be able to be clean and have good skills by hand and foot 
aerial ability is pretty important and underestimated, I think. Um, yep. But sometimes that genuine competitor who, you know, their kicking's satisfactory, um, that, that can still help them um, prosper at AFL level. Okay. So if you, if you had two kids in front of you that you were uh, reasonably equally rated and one was a, a, a great footballer with good athletic skills and the other was a great athlete with good football skills, would you lean one way more than the other? Um, I'd lean to the, yeah, the footballer who's got yep. a pretty good athletic package. Yeah, okay. Um, looking at where footy is now um, and, again, the pathway, the intensity, uh, the amount of people that come out and watch the kids, do, do you think the fun's gone out of footy too early for kids? Um, but we find kids, uh, if I give you a clinical example with us in our physio role, you know, you see... You can see kids that are 11 and 12 that are in state teams and rep teams and they're playing for the school and the club and, and all sorts of things. And, and you stop and think sometimes, gosh, and probably not at the level you're at because they need to be serious to get there. But it seems um, a lot of young sport these days is, is so serious. And I suppose leading into that question, do you see many people on your list burn out before they even get there? Well, there's no doubt it's a challenging environment. Um, it's a good question. Um, you'd like to think that the environments and the coaches that would still provide that um, level of why why they play the game in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I will say to add to that that I think the players that tend to really prosper at AFL level have a genuine love for the game. Um, right. It's deep within them. And so they tend to just thrive on the, um, you know, the, the hard work and the setbacks and they just seem to be able to find a way. They're organised. Um, and, and that's because they have a genuine love for what they do. Sure. And, and that's where it can be challenging for some some athletes, I think that um, they they tend to be have the talent or blessed, but if they don't have a deep love of the game, um, they can be really challenged because you just need uh, an unbelievable amount of resilience in in professional sport to survive. And AFL is no different. You know, it's um, you're challenged on a daily basis, whether that's through your your training habits and your you know, your, your diet and um, so everything's critiqued. So sure. I think sometimes, yeah, it can be a little bit, um, you know, too tight in that aspect. Um, there's an element of inside me that thinks let them play and yep. you might get equal if not better results, but it's a fine line. Um, so part of, you know, my brief is that through the process we go through and that's through live observations and reference checks and um, site profiling and yep. um, player interviews and family interviews is trying to unlock uh, 
the, the level of resilience in, in a player and the, and the absolute love they have for the game. Yeah, okay. And I want to come back to that point in, in, in a sec, but just on the kids again, at, at what age does a, a, a kid or a young footballer tend to come onto your radar? Oh, not till... Um, well, it, it, it can vary. With the Next Generation Academy, the kids are younger than 16, so they're 14. Um, so that's multicultural Indigenous boys that yep. have your own zones. So that you're dealing on a lesser extent with guys at that age, but it's very small. Like we don't we don't overload them with anything from us as such. We let yep. them play their own footy, and we just try and help them along along the way until if they make representative teams at 16, 17s, say the Dan on Stingrays, for example then we'll ramp it up a little bit, but we're, we're always very cautious not to overload them. We just work on their uh, basic stuff because they're getting a lot of, you know, some of these boys are growing up, as you speak of before, mate, like, and this can challenge the fun of it, I suppose, that they've got many coaches, you know. They, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of these lads, they've got coaches at school, they've got coaches at NAB League, they've got coaches at national level in their academy hubs and... So you've got to be careful <coughs> that everyone's on the same page. Um, it's got to be a consistent message. And um, so we, we stay out of that process. And yep. um, It's really so hard, isn't it? Because you do find that each coach wants their own pound of flesh and has their own ideas. So that sort of thing, again, even looking at a physio's perspective, you know, you ask one coach to lighten off loads and he thinks well the other team should lighten off loads and it's it's a really complex situation with the volume of sport a lot of these kids play yeah we have to take that in, into account with the information we get but as i said like it's i'm not about to stand in, in politically and get involved with that it's uh between the the, the you know the state body or the club bodies really that work through that process and they should do that with the individual at hand first and foremost I, I um, yeah, I, I don't. We, it's not my brief or our team's brief to, um, you know, try and tell players what they need to do. If we get asked that in a, in an interview that might be earlier in the year, um, we tend to just, you know, say listen to your coaches. The only question yeah. I do ask of a player if I'm interviewing them prior to the year is, um, and this question's. Um, heavily um, relying on their intent. So I just ask them what they're working on. Um, sure. And what they want to get out of the year. So if I'm watching them live, I'm going to see their intent to improve in that area. And, and yep. that's, that's a really important part of it because a lot of people in life and, and will just say, yeah, I want to do this, but there's no implementation. But when you see kids that have, you know, spoken up and said, no, I really want to get better in this area. And and it's not about, they don't have to nail it straight away, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just about the intent. And, and that's and that's um, also with the combine and the physical testing. Like, oh, it's only a very minute percentage of what I look into. Yeah, right, yeah. That's um, interesting. But it's about their intent. Okay. Yeah, and we'll come back to the combine later, but but you've sort of, I suppose we've spoken about the fact that you think that, number one, you know, they need to have some footy now and they need to have some intent and drive, but as you touched on, 
the the non-football research you do is ex, is extensive as you said talk to coaches do home interviews parents you know i've heard of recruiters bringing school principals to see what they're like at school like you it really is an in-depth multifactorial view you're taking beyond just footy skills isn't it yeah it is it, i think what's important is that you first and foremost you're watching someone perform live with their teammates. So how they carry themselves in a game of football should really, I think, when you gather all the other information, it should back that up. Yeah. So how, how they go about um, as a teammate. Um, you say this, this boy plays with good footy character. Um, and then you speak to uh, people that have been close to them, worked in intently with them um, and that'll be like you know their uh, school principal or um, their mentor at school um, and you're pretty clear with them you know you don't want them just telling the good bits you, yep. you want, and they're very good they're very good I think if you if you straight up and say look I want to know exactly how they are and I find most people that you speak to are excellent in that facet um, of giving you everything about that person. And then I think what you do from there is you just, it's like pieces of the puzzle. So if if five, or let's call it three reference checks, supports all the other information you have from watching them play and their coachability, and um, then really that, that should be enough. Because otherwise what you do is you can, uh, you can start, um, you know, you think you, you just, you, you get doubts, you know, you don't want to get caught out and yep. um, and that's the difficult part of the job sometimes because there's a lot reliant, you know, the it's, it's pretty important facet of the club um, that, you know, but you don't want to second guess what, what you, and that's why I always go back to that reference point of how they carry themselves because yep. that's a really strong indicator and, and it's stood up throughout life. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that question came back to something you you mentioned uh, quite some time ago now, which has always stuck in my mind that, you know, um, quality of character and, as you say, how they carry themselves is is something that's always been important on, on your radar. Um, hence the extent you go to, obviously, to find that sort of thing out. So, look, let's let's move on and let's move. So, as they're getting up into, as they're getting onto your radar, and do you sometimes see some of these kids and think, wow, gosh, I hope you get to the other side, like you get to the AFL and that you're not injured or, or, or burnt out? Like, do you see just the amount of sport being a big issue? Because the good kids are doing a lot, generally. Yeah, well, look, potentially it is, mate, because one thing really that does ring true, unfortunately, is that and durability is a, a really critical piece of our decision-making um, because, you know, young guys, whether it's their, their physical makeup or whether it is that early overload, you know, I can't answer that, but um, the guys that tend to have continuous injuries, um, typically, you know, on a higher percentage, if they do get the opportunity, they take that in and, and it tends to be a trend for them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, again, if we, if we look at injury then, um, how, how much does injury influence um, uh, well, not necessarily, but well, maybe whether you pick somebody, but where they might rate on your 
list because we've seen, I mean, if I give the example a couple of years ago of, of Max King who did an ACL, who was probably an almost certain number one draft pick from what we heard, and I think he went number four in the end. But does injury, you know, like do, do big injuries play much of an effect in your decision-making if, if they happen young? Oh, it certainly does. Like, it's not, but it's not a, um, so part of the process is, and, and this is where it's an important part of the um, combine process is is the medicals. So, yep. you know, we've got doctors at the club who, you know, examine these athletes and they have their injury history um, and they go through that process and then they collect all that information. I'll sit down with them with the team and, and we go through each player on our draft list. So, you know, it could be up to 70 players. Yep. Um, and they'll, they'll give us a, uh, their opinion on where they see the player physically. And, you know, it's not often that they will, I suppose, rule someone out, but it can happen. Um, yep. And they can give you, just say they, it's, it's green, yellow, red, do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and they'll give you information on how they think they're, they're going to need this in their early part of their career. And, and it should be noted that you're not expecting them to play straight away. and um, that pressure's not on them to do that, even the early selections. So, um, you know, that they give you a wealth of that information. So if it's if it's a red light, it certainly has a bearing on um, your decision-making. And if you don't remove them off the list totally, um, you, you could certainly push them back. So this process takes part later in our draft process. So it's... Yeah, right. <laughs> You can have your list in some sort of order, and then you go through the, the um, you know, the medical um, screening, and then you go through the psychological screening, and you can do a bit of shuffling from there. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I suppose too, if you look, um, can you remember where you were in two thousand and one? Were you in recruiting? Uh, two thousand and one. No, I wasn't. St- I hadn't started. Can you remember the draft? Yeah. They say it's probably the best of all time. So Hodge, Ball and Judd. And, and and perhaps Judd went at number three because of some shoulder history. And again, if we look at Max King, who went a couple of picks later, I mean, other than the fact that for you guys, you want to get the best player early, it, 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 there seems to be this drive for, you know, number one and be high up. But I think both Judd and obviously Max is early in his career. It really doesn't matter, does it? If you get in, you get in, you get your opportunity. Oh, 100% right, mate. Like, Joel Selwood's another one. Like, I remember watching Joel out at uh, Shepley Oval. Um, his, his top age year was ruined by injury, really. But, yeah, OK. Um, but I remember watching the game out there and you're like, you know, your first thought's pretty important too. And I, I remember thinking, gee, he's a, he's a good player, that kid. But, um, yep. you know, but I think, you know, traditionally in that process that he, he was pushed back a little bit because of some concerns around yeah. long term, long term, but the, 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 that's why everything needs to be investigated yes. to the degree because he came with, you know, real, real strength of character, resilience, and they just tend to find a way, those, those boys. So does it still, like it amazes me with all the information, the vision, the statistics, it, it's still 
a, a little bit of an in, inexact science, isn't it? Like, how much does how much does gut feel come into your decisions? Yeah, it's huge. It's, uh, I think gut feels a loose term. Uh, I think gut feel is um, all your experience bubbling to the surface, really. Um, yeah, and you, sometimes I I've watched players where I genu- genuinely get a, a shiver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah in what I do when you think this, this guy's got, you know, unbelievable running patterns or just really high footy IQ. And I'll give you an example of, of all that. Like I remember going, and, th- and this is probably goes back to in my pure, what I do. Like, so a lot of the time you're watching, you know, 10, 20 plus players in a game in yep. certain games, but um, when you actually go and just maybe go to the country, if you get a lead and watch just one player, it can be, you know, the pure essence of our job. And it's, it's a great day when you get to do that and you just hone in on one player. I remember John Peake sent me to, up to um, Shepparton to watch, um, I think it might have been a, a Wangaratta actually, right. um, to watch Michael Barlow in an in a interleague game. Okay. Um, and he said to me before that I went, he said, look, he, he doesn't run very well, this guy, as far as he aesthetically looks like he's got a broken wheel, you know. Right, but yeah. He said, don't let that phase you. Just, just watch him and tell me what you think. Um, and he just had incredible running patterns and smarts and um, ability to find the ball. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And yeah. he didn't look great, really, but it, it never troubled him. And I think that's what... Um, why well, it took him a little while to get in. Yeah, radio. Like, there, it just there was that doubt that you know he didn't have the speed or. Yeah, he's um, ended up a pretty good player. He, he had a good career in the end, but yeah. might have been even better besides a broken leg. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, can I just before I want to uh, sort of get into the draft camp a little bit, but if I touch back on the young footballers and probably something that's pretty topical these days, and, and looking at the non-football stuff that you look at. Um, social media, do you, I know you look as employers, you know, we'll sometimes jump on a social media profile and see what we can find out before we employ somebody. Do you do you go that far? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. No, we, we have to go through that process and because um, at the end of the day, like, young men can be, you know, at times quite loose on social media and... Um, yeah. It can give you an insight into their their character and um, and their passions. Um, yeah. So yeah, we certainly you have to have a look at that type of stuff because that's the the type of thing that in our profession that can come back to bite you. Um, yeah, yeah. At certain stages, but on, on a positive with that type of thing as well. Like you look up a guy's profile on social media and. All you see is their footy stuff, their footy stuff, you know, like yep. so you see their genuine passion for where yeah, they want yeah. to get to. Okay. Um, let's move on. Uh, draft camp. Um, I know this is a bit of a topical uh, thing and if, should should the draft age rise? I, I, I think it's okay where it is. Um, but then, again, there, there's so many um, varying... I don't want to sound like I'm sitting on the fence, but if I do, I do. But yeah. there's so many varying opinions on it that if it went to 19, I'm not 
um, bothered by that either. Do you know what I mean? As long as you've probably yeah. got access to at least one 18 year old that's ready to go, do you know yeah, what I mean? Right. And, and, yeah. and that's in their interest as well. Like, yeah. they need but to get such into a big an AFL pro- Well, they need to get into an AFL program and, and start to develop at the rate they deserve if they're ready to go. And, and um, you know, it's not always. Um, you know, there's kids that have finished school that are, that are you know, in different states because it doesn't didn't always marry up. Yeah. Uh, and they they say, oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work. I just want to concentrate on me fully, and it's never a good thing. You know, like they they just get so, and that's where that um, it challenges their love of the game because if you're sitting at home without anything else to distract you, like a part time job or yeah. Uh, studies or anything like that, and you say you just want to get better at your footy, and, and and you know, and you don't have a good day. Well, that can start off a, a chain of events that they just put themselves under enormous pressure because their footy's not going to the level they want. And yeah, um, so they need to stimulate themselves in other ways um, when when they're out of school. So uh, you could have cases of a lot of that happening if it, if the draft age goes up and guys you know, who are ready at 18 and missing out. But, again, I, I can see um, reasons and positives why you would move it. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm happy that it, it stays as it is. It is where it is, yeah. Look, I suppose even, and, you know, being lucky to be involved in, in year 12 footy in the APS system, you, you just see, and, and I know you guys as recruiters are enormously respectful, and there's rules around exam time that such a big year for them you know most of these kids are so keen on their footing but it's such a big um such a big school year and there's a lot of stress and, and you see them towards the end of that year being under a fair bit of pressure but well that that, that 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 can be you know and some people mount that argument I, I will say and i can't speak for other clubs but our interview process is built purely on trying to gather information about the person and at no stage um, do we, um, I suppose, <laughs> ask hard questions to put players under pressure? And that's just how I do it. Um, yeah. We have enough of that other information anyway. So we might, you know, you might have one or two questions that challenges something, but I certainly don't do that. And, and the interview process for me is to actually get to know the person and the family. And so to do that, you, you need to make it as comfortable as you can. And, and their schooling from our angle is more important than their football. So yeah. we're very respectful of that. I mean, yeah. at the moment, like, if we talk COVID, like, um, the AFL's just opened up a window um, where you can interview players via Zoom um, through a six-week period. Okay. So I've just been through the process of, um, you know, because you don't want to overload them, but... I've got it. I'm indebted to my club, so yeah. I want to get in early and organise. So I've organised about 50 interviews over Zoom over that, you know, four week period. Yeah, so right, yeah. Just so it's in their holidays and they can get spread a bit, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it, it, it is part of the process and it's an important part for us. And it's a job interview as such. So it's, um, you know, it it's, it's, it's just it's necessary. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so let's go. Let's go to the draft camp. And I'm, I'm interested. Before that, you like I, I thought I just presumed that the draft camp had 
give you loads and loads of information and maybe really significantly influence your, your choices, but are you more or less just going to that to confirm what you already know? Yeah, look, over a period of time, um, all these players throughout the country uh, undertake um, physical testing, so over the pre-season, so you, you typically have a wealth of information on their physical testing, if you like. So, so you um, get that independent of yeah, the draft. Each, each club gets that from the state bodies um, okay. and the academy hubs um, for the players that are, are lucky enough to be selected in them. The state academy hubs, um, so big metro country, South Australia, etc. Um, so they're tested in all the same categories. Um, yep. So. You know, there might be players that are injured and the AFL will go out of their way to, to make that happen. My, my point with the combine is that, you know, it's up to each club. And I can, I'm only speaking for, for us that um, because we've got that information and you do watch them play so often, you, you actually see uh, how they um, present and measure up physically. Yep. And then you get to a combine, which is later in the year and as we've just spoken of, in a pretty tough year for them. Um, and they're quite often, um, you know, tired and run down and just finished a full year of footy, about to enter into their study block. So I take all that into account, really. Um, but then there's a resilience piece that you say, well, yeah, you do like to see them have a bit of resilience because it's such a hard industry in the AFLs as well. So there's, that's the little part you take out of it. So the only thing I'm looking for in the combine is um, just players' intent, which just shows their competitive nature to do their best they can. And that, that, might, that intent might not always bring outstanding results at the combine. Yeah. Um, but if you see them, they're actually screwing their guts up. Well, it's really about, to be honest, is getting players that you put a list together so it's not your full list, it's just your nominate players that you'd like to interview and you can get them and sit them down in front of the coach. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. the biggest thing for me. And then you you, you do another interview, which you, you may have already in-depthly interviewed all these individuals. So it's just a follow-up interview so the coach can, I suppose, put a, put a face to the name. And, um, yeah, and if you need to follow up anything out of um, any psychological reports that we've been able to gather in that interim. Um, yeah. They're the main things there, really, mate. Um, yeah. It's just so, so in-depth, isn't it? Like you've got, oh, you've got, got info coming from all angles. Um, but, look, that all leads into, obviously, draft day. Um, is that grand final day for you? Oh, it's pretty important. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's critical, really, and you, you, you kind of hope, hope that you've done all the work. That, and, and people often ask you, but quite simply, you're, uh, you, you're putting them in an order. Um, yeah. So do you put them from 1 to 80? Like, do you list... Oh, well, if you last pick 64, I won't go in without... Yeah. More, uh, I won't go with less than 64, for yeah. example. So, but, um, yeah, the, the, the landscape's changed in the last two years. So, you know, with future trading and uh, an ability to do that, because, you know, you can potentially come up the order as well. So you just need to have players... In the um, and trading on the night, if you if you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. You, you need to have. You don't go in with your traditional order anymore. You've got you've more or less got it into different um, sections because 
there'll be a section where you're prepared to potentially trade a future pick to, to get in, yeah. in that yeah. particular draft. So you'll have a cutoff point on that. You know, so you don't you don't go overs just because you might be in love with a play. You need to be strict in your measurements there. Yeah, okay. I, I actually watched um Oh, it's about a seven-minute clip of the 2019 draft camp on on AFL.com, which you did, which which was amazing. It's an amazing insight. And oh, was that in, on the draft night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was sitting there, honestly, with my heart pumping with nerves, watching what you were going through in the future picks and that. And I'm I'm sure you did look a little bit nervous at times. Like, is it just? Is it? It must be nerve-wracking. Uh, well, I don't typically get nervous. Um, I think it's just that you hope for the, the, the outcome you've set out for and um, that doesn't always happen, But um, and that's why your, your order is pretty important. I, I, I mean that. I, I don't typically get nervous. Um, yep. You get, oh, I suppose, butterflies. Butterflies because you're competing and I suppose it's that competitive nature that comes out on the night, but the things we have to do for the AFL, mate, was... Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Hey, um, um, we got them to cut it within... We have a bit of banter in our group, so we uh, we tend to not be able to shut that off automatically, <laughs> so we had to cut that within an inch of its life, mate. Yeah, rightio. Do you get annoyed when someone who you dead... I mean, you must get annoyed when someone you dead set want gets taken a selection or two before you? Oh, you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt yeah. about that. It's... Um, yeah, and and I, I think just everyone, you know, with with everything that you, you have at your fingertips, each club just gets better and better every year. So where there used to be, everyone looks at a difference still, which is can either um, give you opportunity or negate opportunity. But um, and that, that that's the beauty of it, really. Um, everyone's order will be slightly different, but I have noted that it has closed in quite significantly in that area in the last kind of five years. Yeah. And if a player you want has been taken from, from from under you, is your tendency then by your ratings to go to the next best player or more likely a player that the club needs in terms of position, size? Like how much does the next best versus what the club needs comes into selection? Well, clearly needs needs come into it because um, you, you just have to have a balanced list, really. Um, so, but those conversations are had before before we go into on to draft night. They're not conversations yep. to be had on draft night. You, that, that we thrash it all out before we go in. So, you, you know, your decisions are really made for you. The only conversations you're having now are around, you know, at what point, and again, I say we have strict measurements on that. At what point would you trade a future pick to get up yep. the order? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and and that can also be done um, leading into it through the the trade period and beyond, where you're able to swap picks throughout. So, for, yeah. for example, this year, um, you know, we thought that um, looking at next year's draft, and and there's it's a talented draft this year um, but there is some compromise in it with um, academy players and and father sons um, that you know we had a pressing need that we needed to get onto our list in a small forward so yep. we we looked at opportunity to trade our first rounder out to get into the draft in the first round again in 2019 right um, so to us we just look at our pick 12 so because I pick it 
is is basically 2020's first rounder. Yeah, righty. I, but you yeah. get him in a year earlier. So you, you can be strategic around how you do that. And then there's also the fact that you just don't know what can happen in the next 12 months. Do, do teams need to bottom out? Do you need to rebuild? Um, no, I don't think you do. And and I remember my presentation to Melbourne. I think that that's was a pretty important factor. We had a fair way to go and we still do. But um, I think that you always need to keep in the draft. like, And that's not just because it's my role. You've got to have a balance of trading and trading for needs at, at the time. So you get that balance right of that more senior body as well because um, you don't want to be too young all the time. But I think that any, any club I've been involved with and um, there's always that strategic um, and I, I'm not speaking on behalf of these clubs. It's an observation for me. Um, like I look at Hawthorne's, um, their strategic trading in of players has been fantastic. That there's a real core of those early draft picks that, and they came in in years on top of each other, so they become quite tight. Yep. And I think that's a critical factor to success: the uh, ability to form bonds and the nucleus of that group, you know, formed bonds. I think Collingwood was the same when they, their 2010 squad, um, and they, again, strategically brought in Lee Brown and um, Jolly and Luke Ball, and that, that was enough to, you know, I suppose, blend that young group. Um, yeah. And I think um, the other example is Geelong, really. Like, if you look at, it, it was the drafts that brought the nucleus of that group together. Um, and then again, there was some strategic, so it's a real combination. So when you say bottom out, um, I think you need to be careful when you're on the, on top and we haven't experienced that um, as yet, that you don't continue to um, bypass the draft. Sure. That's my opinion. Yeah, okay. Mate, um, I can't let you go without briefly speaking about COVID. We've we've touched on it a couple of times. And look, when I was writing a few questions, you know, 24 hours ago, my question was, how wrapped were you when footy came back recently? And now I've changed that to, to how 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 um, decimated were you all? Obviously, Melbourne were affected with um, with Essendon being unable to play. But gosh, you the emotions and, and difficulties of this year are unbelievable aren't they and you're living through it yeah it's a challenge for people and um <laughs> i'll be honest with you like it, it was the one thing and you've got to put it in perspective with life um at the moment being stood down and um you know still still chipping away at home working yeah you know the, the one thing you look forward to at the end of the day is picking up your son from school and but it's is so given the um, the loss of what you love that you um, I was so looking forward to that game on the weekend. And, yeah, and it was a buy. I'll give you the tip. Like it's, um, you're just a bit shattered, but you know what? It'll turn around quick enough, and we'll be playing on Sunday, and um, and then you know hopefully we perform well. But it's been a difficult period for for people. Um, 
for in all industry and um, we're no different really. And I suppose the recruiting department um, suffered a little bit longer because of um, COVID, but just because they haven't been able to get up the, um, you know, the pathway football as such, um, which is starting to open up now. And uh, it's been unbelievable, really. I remember getting off the plane um, in early March, like right at the start of March, coming back from Alice Springs with a colleague. Um, and we were up there doing some stuff for the academy region up there, Alice Springs. And, um, you know, you knew a bit about COVID, but yeah. it was, you never thought. And then the, basically the next day, my colleague Todd, he's, um, as I mentioned earlier, he runs AFLW list management and he's bringing a girl over from Ireland. And um, he picked her up. At, so we basically flew in in the afternoon. I went home and he uh, went home and then came back at midnight and picked up the skill from Ireland. And the very next day he was born in and she was, um, had to go really. Oh, and he was quarantined for two weeks. So it was yeah. like, what's going on here? And then basically from a week later, we're still down and still are. Um, so the speed of it was enormous. Um, but then you get, um, it's almost become like, it's, I reference it when we, you know, we, we're quite tight and we talk a lot, but it's, it, it, it's almost like you, you're in season a little bit because every time we get, so it's like the win-loss scenario, you're, you're either up and about if you win and then you, yeah. you, you're challenged if you lose and, and that environment and um, you just got to, the best part is to live in the moment and remain, things aren't always good or bad, you know, so, because every time we got some good news, I guarantee you, either doubt or bad news, and that's continued on. And then you see the cases of late, and and that another you know worries you a little bit. So yeah, um, you just got to hold our nerve and and hope that things progress, and and you just got to keep doing the work regardless whether you're on stand down. I believe because you just you're um as much as you can really, you know, um, because. Otherwise, once it all opens up, you'll just be too far beyond. Yeah. Uh, mate, uh, it is a day-to-day -day proposition. And for someone like you, there's there's no historical data or vision to draw on to plan this one out. But look, mate, I'd better let you um, probably get back to the computer or get back to um, to picking your son up. But look, um, for those of us that are uh, outside of the AFL circle, it's really fascinating. It's been a real pleasure to watch you get to where you are yourself. So, mate, thanks again for your time and um, all the best for the rest of the season. Absolutely, mate. I appreciate it. Good on you. No worries. Thanks. Well, that's a wrap on episode 10 and everything recruiting in the AFL world. It really is a fascinating field and I loved hearing from such an experienced recruiter to find out how he makes the process work. There were quite a few gems in there with Jason, um, in particular how goal setting got himself to the level that he is in, in what is a brutally competitive industry. Uh, the fact that drive and intent is pretty much as important as skill. And, and one thing I particularly loved is how character and family and how a footballer conducts themselves amongst others um, is still really important in their assessments. Um, and another thing he touched on which stood out was just how in this COVID-based world at the moment that you just need to be appreciative of what you've got. 
But for now, that's all from us. We look forward to bringing you another episode really soon. And please don't forget to hit that follow button to ensure that you get notified as soon as our next edition is released. Thanks for listening.